Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the murder of Molly Tippetts. So pour yourself some fire department coffee, and let's dive in. Molly Tibbetts was born Molly Cecilia Tibbetts to Robert and Laura Tibbetts on May 8th, 1998 in San Francisco, California. She was mostly raised in San Francisco and Brooklyn, Iowa. She graduated from BGM High School in Brooklyn in 2017 and went on to attend the University of Iowa and had been majoring in psychology. She had been involved in a lot of different musicals and really loved theater and acting. She also was highly active in cross country and ran almost every single day of her life. I'm curious to see where this goes because this case sounds very familiar to me, but like I can't place it. She also loved children and loved to babysit for everybody. She had worked at a day camp and just really enjoyed being around children. So what her goal was with her psychology degree was she was going to become a child psychologist and she was going to work with children that had mental health issues. In July of 2018, she was 20 years old and she was on summer break. So her plan was to go and dog sit for her boyfriend's brother, which was going to be at his house. While she was there dog sitting, she had taken care of the dogs and decided that she was going to go out for her daily run. So she goes out for a jog. And just before she got back to the house, she sent a Snapchat to her boyfriend who was named Dalton Jack. But when he responded, she never responded back to him. The next day, he sent her a couple messages in the morning, but didn't get a response. And then she did not show up for work the next day at Grinnell Daycare. So one of her coworkers ended up calling Jack and was like, hey, do you know where your girlfriend is? Which I thought it was a little strange that the daycare contacted the boyfriend. Unless maybe that was who she'd put as an emergency contact. Yeah, you know, these cases always get me because I feel like so often if someone just doesn't show up for work, you just assume they're like not showing up for work because for X, Y, or Z, like it's always interesting to me when someone doesn't show up in these cases and they immediately contact like a family member or a friend and it's like, do you know anything? Well, it just goes to show that it's extremely out of character for these Mm -hmm. individuals to do a no cult, no show. Yeah. I think like in, if it was me and I went missing, I would feel so appreciative to somebody knowing me well enough to know that I wouldn't just like not show up for work or not show up for something specific. Yeah, I, I would imagine too, maybe if she's working at a daycare, it's, excuse me, maybe like a smaller um, group of people. It most likely is, I'm assuming. So that's the other thing. I mean, maybe the coworker contacted the boyfriend because she knew the boyfriend. Like maybe it was also a friend of theirs. They'd all hung out or something. That or the boyfriend came in more than once to like bring lunch or pick her up or something like that. Exactly. I mean, it all kind of makes sense. But like I said, I mean, if I was in the situation, I would feel, like I said, appreciative that somebody knew me well enough to know that something was wrong. So the boyfriend's like, no, I've not seen her. I've not heard from her. And they reported her missing. Very quickly after she was reported missing, everybody started searching for her. They had search dogs. They had investigators. They had family, neighbors, community, everybody out looking to see if they could find Molly. They 
even went through a pig farm, which if you guys know, you know why they went through a pig farm. I don't know what made them immediately go to that though. Like there had to have been something where they're like, we need to look at this pig farm specifically, but they, they checked all around. And so they execute search warrants for her Fitbit and social media accounts, including Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook. They're not really finding a whole lot of information on any of this stuff. Nothing stands out. Nothing's concerning. So they end up announcing that there will be a $1,000 reward for any information. And this comes from Crime Stoppers of Central Iowa that put it out. But there was also a local electric company called TIP Rural Electric Cooperative. And they said that they would match the $1,000 reward being put out for any information. Wow. I love that. You don't hear too. about I, that often. No, I, but I, that's why I wanted to make sure I put that in there. Yeah. Because it, I felt like that was so sweet of this like electric company. So props to you guys for being willing to do that. If anybody from there is listening, I, I don't know, <laughs> but they're our sole listener base. <laughs> the mystery has been solved here at Crime Over Coffee. Our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Molly's mother, Laura Calderwood, has a press conference where she says, quote, We believe Molly is still alive. If someone has abducted her, we are pleading with you to please release her. We have raised $172,000 that will be paid to you as soon as Molly is safely home, end quote. It's a substantial amount of money they've raised. It really jumped from that $1,000 from Crime Stoppers being matched, so that $2,000, that's, yeah, that was a big jump. The police end up conducting over 200 interviews trying to find any information. I always wonder in these cases... I want a list of every single person that they're interviewing and why they decided to interview that specific person. I assume a lot of it comes from like people she knows, people who know her, know, you know, like it probably goes down a list and then people in the area she was in maybe. So it just seems like such a large amount of people to be (laughs) interviewing. And I guess some of them, it could be like they interviewed the same person twice or something. Yeah, I Um, Also, my interpretation of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that she maybe got abducted while she's out on the jog. Yes, that's that's the theory at this point. They don't know for sure, but they know that she had been out on a jog and had sent the Snapchat and then never responded again. Right. And the thing is, if that's the case, that makes it a lot harder because you it would almost point to a random abduction, like not someone she knows. It absolutely would. So I think you're right in saying that they're probably interviewing with people around the area that where she went missing, which if you remember correctly, she was dog sitting for her boyfriend's brother at his house. So I'm assuming it probably wasn't an area she was super familiar with. Did they check into the boyfriend at all? Yes, they did. So really quickly, they discover that Dalton was actually out of town 
He was working on a bridge project in Dubuque, Iowa, until 7 p.m. that day, which was about an hour before they believe she went missing. And this, like, came straight from his su- former supervisor. He's the one that told him where he was, which was... So he was about 140 miles from where she went missing, which would have been more than a two-hour drive. So there's no way that he would have been back in time. It was about a month later when an agent from the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation named Rick Ron came out and said that they had been able to find video recordings of Molly. So these video recordings that they had found were actually from security cameras from houses in the area where Molly had been running. So these cameras actually were able to pick up her running and they also showed a black Chevy Malibu that was going through the area. And this black Chevy Malibu, it looked like it was kind of following her. You know one of those creepy things where you're walking and like there's this car like kind of beside, you see it in movies, there's this car beside you and it's just like kind of like going right next to you and then it like you stop, it stops kind of thing is what it sounds like was kind of occurring. It was pretty obvious. So police were like, all right, we need to find the owner of this black Chevy Malibu. I think that'll give us some answers. And they do. And they find that the car belongs to 26-year-old farm worker Christian Bahina Rivera. So they bring him in for questioning on August 20th. And while they're talking with him, he ends up admitting that he had been following her with his car. And then he eventually parked the car and got out and started like running up to her and kind of with her, he said. Irregardless of where this story is going, no. <laughs> like, that's just <laughs> not something you do. Absolutely. I agree. I That's creepy as hell. Like, unless you know the person, you don't do that. Right. So, she grabs her phone, which, smart of her to be running with her phone. She grabs her phone and says, I'm going to call the police if you don't, like, leave me alone. He obviously does not like this answer. And he stabs her and then throws her into the back of his trunk. He then tells police where her body is he says it's in a nearby cornfield so he ends up taking police out there and taking them over to the body that was just covered up he had covered it up with a couple corn stalks and the body was confirmed to be molly tibbets so christian's story was that when she got her phone out to call the police he panicked and got mad at her and then he kind of blacked out and didn't know what happened which he claims that occurs when he gets really upset. And so he said he blacked out for a while. And then when he came to, he was at an intersection and he realized that the woman was in his trunk. And so he drove to a cornfield and then dropped her body off. No, I don't, I don't quite buy that. That's what he says. He said when he got to the cornfield, he opened the trunk, noticed that she had blood on the side of her head. And then he took her out to the cornfield and like i said covered her with corn stalks he's claiming he had no like recollection of murdering her yes screw this guy (laughs) that pisses me off i think we see this a lot people always go and use this excuse they're like well i don't remember it Mm -hmm. i think they're trying to pull like an insanity thing i don't care if you remember it you still freaking did it yeah i right irregardless like first off you followed her and ran up to her and it was clearly unwelcomed exactly well so even chris watts said he did it in a rage that's the same story that christian's saying right now i did it in a rage i don't remember yeah and it's 
And you're right. It doesn't matter. You're still murdering somebody. You still did it. If you know that you have this. And he said, he told police, I have this rage where every time I get really mad, I black out. I don't know that he was getting any sort of help for this. But if you know that you have this, I think it's important to try to find some help. Is that like, um, is that a real condition that people have? Because you always hear people say like, I just see red or, you know, like say stuff like that. Like, is that an actual condition? Yes, that is actually a condition. It's just referred to as intermittent explosive disorder. Interesting. Okay. So it's just like extreme anger. And then, yeah, you can black out. It's like something kind of takes over. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess he's never been like diagnosed with it, though, officially. Not that I know of. It didn't say anything about that. I will say that Christian was undocumented. Mm. So he may have not sought treatment just because of that. Right, right. Obviously, at this point, Christian has led them to the body. He's admitted to it. And they charge him with first degree murder. And so he was held at the Powsheek County Jail. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. On a $5 million cash-only bail. So this is a situation where obviously he wouldn't get out on bail. And when they got to court, this was this ended up being a two-week trial. So one of the defense attorneys named Chad Freeze said that, quote, Tibbetts was a spectacular young woman and her death was tragic, end quote, but then asked jurors not to allow emotions into the deliberation room. They said that the investigation was sloppy. They were under an immense amount of pressure to close the case. And then he said, quote, some of this investigation was sloppy, but it got really sloppy when Christian Bahina Rivera was targeted. They closed a case, but they didn't solve the case. End quote. So he's claiming that Christian was not responsible. Yeah, he's claiming that Christian's innocent. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is all besides the fact that Her body was in his car, in the trunk of his car. So the matching DNA evidence in the trunk. Then he led the police to the body. And admitted to it. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of defense that they could do. Yeah, like not a lot of room for uh, error there. Like interpretation, it sounds relatively cut and dry. Exactly. So he says that the investigators spoon fed a story to Christian during the interrogation. And... The defense attorney said that her boyfriend is the one that did it. Even though, as we already discussed, there was an alibi for the boyfriend. And his supervisor at the time, Nick Wilson, ended up testifying during the trial that, um, no, Dalton was at this job site two hours away. There's no way that he could have been here. They also said that once they got off work, Jack went to a hotel with other people that were working on the job. And drank beer, and they grilled out and hung out, and then he was at work again the next morning at 5.30 a.m. Yeah. There was really no room (laughs) for him to go murder her. Police did say that they had investigated Dalton all the way. There was absolutely no way that he was there. And as always, Christian was given an option to give a closing statement. And he, he did. He gave a closing statement. So his closing statement was that... Two men had kidnapped him at gunpoint and forced him to take part in the crime. And he didn't do it. He was just being forced to kill Molly. Did he give any uh, names? Nope. Just two men. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting closing statement. Right? Yeah. 
But obviously, the jury wasn't dumb. They were like, this whole time the that the trial's going on, none of this is mentioned. You didn't mention this in any of the in- interrogation. Prior to the trial taking place, nothing. And now for your closing statement, you want to throw this out? They were like, man, we don't really believe it. So they deliberated for seven hours, which seems like a long time for me. It seems like... For this specific case. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I think... I'm sure there's a lot of formalities when it comes to this. I always think about how much of it is formalities and how much of it is like discussion on whether or not like i don't know the process yeah i don't know i feel like some of the cases we've covered it's been like really quick though so seven hours i don't know it just seemed like a long time with all the evidence has been presented i guess if they were like discussing whether or not he did black out like if people were like well do we want to make him guilty because he blacked out like if people were kind of going through like a weird struggle with how to go forward with it either way the jury comes back and says that they have determined christian behina rivera to be guilty of first degree murder of molly Tibbetts, and he was actually convicted on may 25th 2021 so not very long ago oh yeah very recently which was like three years after the murder yeah what was uh what was his sentencing so he has not been sentenced yet his sentencing hearing is scheduled for 9 30 a.m on july 15th i would be curious to see what they end up sentencing him with he was convicted of first degree murder i maybe he'd get life in prison i don't know i mean for the crime that it is i think it's definitely possible i feel like right now which is fantastic like this year alone there have been a lot of cases getting solved and like people being convicted and cases kind of closing. And it's fantastic. The Alyssa Turney case I know is in the process of being like closed as well, which is a big one. Her sister has lo- put out a bunch of information. I know that they're going through the trials right now. So I don't know where they're at with all of that. But there was that one that was solved. We covered a couple other ones that have been solved like recently. I've got another one that we're about to cover where it was just solved last month as well it's just really refreshing to be seeing all of these cases being closed thanks for listening to this week's episode of crime over coffee you can find us on instagram at crime over coffee or on facebook at crime over coffee podcast where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found you can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.